This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens, welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe, from character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods. We will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about Dragon Age and its lore. I am one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup, and I'm here with my other host and lore master, an all-around amazing person. Thanks. Um, you are a little biased on that front, but I do appreciate it. So yes, I'm Shelby or Sheacup. And we are back to continue our series about creatures and animals of Thetis. And I'm very happy to announce that we are moving on from dwarven creatures. We're no longer talking about dwarven creatures. We have a new topic. (laughs) Wow. So we get, we're leaving the deep roads to some sunshine and other places. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that Ferelden gets a ton of sunshine, but something better than the Deep Roads, that's for sure. Hey, the Hinterlands are in Ferelden, and they're beautiful. That's true. They are. Um, that is true. However, you know, the Storm Coast is also in Ferelden, and, well, that's not that beautiful in my opinion it is raining literally all the time there so that's a fair point but let's just go ahead and jump right in since i've I've teased you all um we are talking about three actually animals today but two of them are in ferelden and then one is in orle so we will be getting a little bit of sun and desert in the last one but the first two are are definitely very Ferelden based. So we're talking about the Bogfisher, the Druffalo, and the Gurgit today. Bogfisher. That's a new one. I think, well, maybe not. It is I can't new. Remember. It is new to Dragon Age Inquisition. If a game that's almost 10 years old can be considered new, yes. Um, but let's just jump right in because Bogfishers are first. So, like I said, they are new creatures that are introduced in Inquisition, and we see them only in two places, actually. We see them in the Fallow Mire, and we see them in the Frostback Basin. 
And so both of those areas are in Ferelden. I know that the Frostbacks are kind of an outlier, but technically they're within the territory of Ferelden. Um, so I'm considering them to be a Ferelden creature. So as you might be able to guess from their name, they do prefer to live in rainy and dark places of the world, which is, again, why we see them in the fallow mire, like there's no light there at all. Um, and they especially favor swamps, marshes, caves, etc. Now, I think they look pretty scary, um, like... I think they look like a rhino with extra teeth and like almost pointier snouts. And for those of you who are listening, I will post a, um, I will post a photo on our social medias whenever this episode comes out. So yeah, I think they look a lot like a rhino, but they're, they have a pretty frightening appearance, but they're not actually violent or even dangerous creatures at all, really. And that's because they're actually super shy and they're pretty skittish as well. They're not um, a predator animal at all. Their their main prey are, you know, small animals like eels, frogs, fish. Um, so they're not really a predator to most other land creatures. And so they're definitely not really dangerous to the people groups of Thetis, unless provoked, of course. Now we do get some really, really good loot from bog fishers, their teeth, um, and their fade touched rough hide, as well as fade touched craggy skin are all lootable if you kill one of these creatures. I still don't remember these creatures, even after looking at the picture. So there's a white one, actually, that you have to hunt in the Frostbacks. It's, I think, a side quest. So that one may look more familiar to you if I show you a picture of that one. Still nothing? Yeah, that's a little familiar more than the other one. Uh, I just can't. You know, it's been so long since I've played, like, not just automatically, like, like with having the extra um, schematics, having the extra schematics there. So I know what I want to craft and I know what resources I need to go after. Oh, whereas yeah. I'm just not, I'm not really killing things like. Yeah. Once you play through once and you have the golden nug to, to synchronize all the like schematic collectibles and stuff, you know, it's. You don't really have to, like, go hunting for those things anymore. So I get that. Right. Um, but the last thing I really have to tell you about the bog fisher before we move on is more of a question and a discussion from the codex entry. So I'm going to describe the codex entry. I've kind of summed it up because it's pretty long. It's a very long story. And then I'll follow it up with a question. So in the codex entry for Bog Fisher, we get a story about a man who accompanied an Orlesian marquee upon an expedition to some rural area in Thetis. They happened upon a cave where the marquise and the writer encountered a bog fisher. The marquise mocked it and then laughed at it and then they left and they drove the bog fisher away as well. Later on in the story, it's implied that the very same bog fisher came up out of the lake and attacks and eats the marquise. 
Seeing as how the bog fisher is not a predator of humans, and they are very typically shy creatures, and the codex implies that this was the same bog fisher that the Orlesian noble mocked, can a case be made that the bog fisher is a sentient creature? I think so. Uh, I guess it really depends on like your definition of sentient. Uh, because is being able to pick up on maybe emotions because we could probably you could boil it down to like no it doesn't know that they're making fun of it but it could sense like the emotions of that kind of like how dogs do Mm -hmm. and so does that mean sentience or you know what I mean like I think it just depends on what you define as sentient I think that's a fair um, response I do think it's an interesting question, and I think that this is an interesting creature uh, because of the potential that's there. I think that the writers can definitely take this creature and build upon it um, with, you know, the lore in an interesting way. So I really lift this up, not because I think they're sentient, but because I think that they could become sentient depending on how the writers write them in the next games. Um, because I just feel like there's a lot of potential that they could take this in a very horror way. So um, I'm interested to, to see where this goes. I think that's a very like good point. It's a good uh, place to think about, especially since like, we don't know what the rip, the long-term consequences of the breach and the hole in the sky between the fade is going to have on the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that brings up a point of like, it could change and make more like on the border sentient creatures, sentient depending on how spirits and the fade interacts with the material world. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, too. And also, we don't know how it could change creatures that were really close to the breach, creatures that lived in that area. Um, And like, you know, with evolution and everything, how that could then change those species. Right, exactly. So let's move on to our next animal. And this one is so iconic for all the wrong reasons. Um, we are talking about the one and only Druffalo, who is um, the namesake of quite literally the worst quest in all of Dragon Age. Okay, so I do have to ask, because it does get this, do you think this one is worse than the Golden Hollow quest? I do, I do. Um, and for me, you know, the Hala is annoying for sure. But with the Hala, you always have the option to kill it, number one. And at least it runs away from you, but at least you're running. At least you can like actively chase it. With the Druffalo, you have to go so slow. And that is the thing that drives me nuts the most. And then it gets stuck around that freaking like curve, um, rock out, like cropping thing. I don't know what it's called. Um, and it just, it, every part of this quest drives me nuts. Why, why am I being sent to play fetch 
and bring home this Druffalo for some random farmer in the middle of nowhere in the hinterlands. To build influence. I know. I just find it annoying. All of it frustrates me. It's a very annoying quest. Yes, it is. So let's get into this animal a little bit. Um, The Druffalo is actually found throughout Southern Thetis. And it's not just limited to Ferelden, though that is where we meet it. Um, But it looks a lot like a mix between a bison slash buffalo and a woolly mammoth almost. Um, They are used as cattle in the world of Dragon Age. And like I mentioned earlier, the most infuriating quest is where the Druffalo roam. Um, You can go play that for yourself, though. I don't know why you would want to. But... The interesting thing I find about Druffalo is that there are wild Druffalo and there are domesticated Druffalo, and they have pretty distinct differences at this point. So our previous point about bogfisher evolution, you know, could be could come true because at least with the the Druffalo, we see that their species has undergone some pretty significant evolution and has basically evolved into two different species at this point. So with that being said, what are the differences? Well, the wild Druffalo are much more hostile to humans and everyone. And in lore, it says that they are claimed to be more dangerous than Bronto. And if you go back and remember our first episode of this season, we talked about how Bronto are one of the most dangerous animals in all of Thetis. So that is very significant. Yeah. Uh, Definitely there. I mean, it's kind of like the old, uh, like everyone thinks of a shark as dangerous, but more people are killed by cows than sharks every year. Or dolphins. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Great comparison there. Um, But... So that's wild Druffalo. So what are the domesticated ones like? Well, they are often used as cattle and work animals, like I mentioned before, but they're also farmed for their meat and they're farmed for their hides, which they use to make leather um, for saddles or clothing, etc. Now, um, according to the World of Thetis Encyclopedia, it's about a pretty even split. Half of all the Druffalo in the world are domesticated and the other half are wild. So, you know, that's a lot of Druffalo that's out there if we are just comparing to what we see in the hinterlands. All right. I have a question that's, it is related to the lore, but you're going to like, roll your eyes a little bit at me sure do you think their meat is fatty i am fascinated to see how you think this question is relevant to the lore about the druffalo they're raised for meat like do you think they're <laughs> like okay i think their meat is probably pretty similar to beef or bison right why <laughs> I was thinking about it, like, the Druffalo steaks, like, are they a really fatty meat? Does it depend on the cut, like, beef? I, I've had bison before, but I don't, I, it's been so long that I don't remember its taste different than regular beef. Yeah, I don't really either, um, 
I've only ever had like a bison burger anyway. I've never had a bison steak or anything, but I would imagine it's pretty similar to a cow. Um, you know, you have different cuts of steak. Why wouldn't you have that on a truffalo too? That's true. Um, okay. So let's move on a little bit because I don't want to freak out our vegetarian listeners too much, but um, interestingly enough, one of the reasons we do know that wild Druffalo exists is because the destruction DLC for the Inquisition multiplayer introduced hostile wild Druffalo as enemies. And then, of course, we do have a few named Druffalo. Most significant is the one and only Druffy from the aforementioned quest. But we do also know about one other named Druffalo, and this one is named Bluebell, and we can find it in the Codex. So essentially, a refugee family from the Hinterlands was traveling to Denerim to escape the fighting between the rebel mages and the Templars. And so they come upon a herd of wild Druffalo. The father, who is named Guy, decided to try to domesticate one of these wild Druffalo. And so he tells his family, I'm going to domesticate this Druffalo. I'll catch up to you later. And they continue on to Denerim. Well, days go by, and the writer of the Codex, who's presumed to be the mother, um, but is unsure, but they pretty much have given up in desperation because they believe that Guy is dead and he's never coming back. When all of a sudden, he roars in on top of a wild but domesticated Druffalo, and the Codex says, quote, The Druffalo was enormous, but gentle as a doe. The children called her Bluebell. So, do you think this is a reference to Bluebell ice cream? I I did not think that. No. Why do you think it is? Because clearly you do. Well, because the name. Picking that name for a cow, like the name of an ice cream dairy company. I guess I just feel like it's a pretty... um, pretty common name but i also looked it up and bluebell ice cream is two words and bluebell the druffalo is one word okay so that's my new show but i i felt like it was at least a little bit relevant all i want to say about druffalo because i don't really have strong opinions on druffalo but i will say this i have wanted to murder Solus, Dorian Pavis, Vivian, all for their AoE attacks, accidentally hitting a Druffalo and making me deal with that. That's very fair um, because they are, they are very beefy, like very beefy creatures. And when you're playing on Nightmare difficulty... It's not fun. Yeah, it's really not. It really sucks. But unless you have anything else to say about Druffalo, I think we can head to the mid-break. What makes your ram so special? Well, he's always brought the family luck. And his advice helped us make our fortune. Your ram offered advice. How do you get your hair to do that, Dorian? With magic. With proper hygiene and grooming. Maybe all three of you should get acquainted. Kirkwall's not brown enough for me. 
But hey, no darkspawn. Ferelden wasn't that brown. The dirt and muck gave it character. All right, well, welcome to the middle of the show, where we talk about things about the podcast, but not the lore of Dragon Age. And it's here where I take this moment to thank our patrons. Thank you to all of our patrons who support us. Thank you to our first patrons, Genesis and Lisa M. Thank you to our Divine Tier patron, Kit. And a special thank you to our Nug King patron, Lewis H. If you would like to join us on Patreon, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash lorecast. And you can uh, sign up for tiers there. If you sign up at our first Enchanter tier, which is $20 a month, you can come on the show with us once a month. And yeah. And so that's really great. If you can't support us on Patreon, you can leave us reviews and ratings on Spotify. If you leave us some kind words in a five-star review or comment on one of our episodes in Spotify, we will read it out on a future episode of the show. You can also join our Discord server, the Cups Podcasting and more, and come and hang out with us. The last thing we have to talk about in the middle of the show is that we will indeed be taking a small break from both shows uh, that we do the podcast with um, because we are moving. Yeah, we are moving and it's a big move. And so, you know, we've also been doing this for two years, which is crazy, but almost exactly two years from our break. So we're going to be taking about a month off. We'll still have patron chats. Um, but after next week's patron chat, we'll be on break until September's patron chat. So we'll basically have two patron chats back to back. Um, but there will be, you know, the regular time in between. So we'll be off for about three weeks, almost a month. And, um, yeah, we're we're moving and we've just got some renovations to do at the place we're moving to. And um, also, you know, we're tired, so we're going to take a little bit of a break. But don't worry, we will be back. We love Dragon Age and we would never, ever miss the release of Dragon Age Dread Wolf. So you don't have to worry about us coming back, but you may just have to be deprived for a few weeks of new episodes. So you can go back and listen to old episodes or any episodes that you've missed. Um, but yes, so we will be taking a break for about a month. Right. Uh, and you can always come and join the Discord and talk to us and hang out with us. You don't have, we're not going to go radio silent. You can always tag us in the Discord if you have questions or you're like, hey, look at this news. We'll be around. Yeah. And I'm guaranteed, like, Basically, I'm manifesting this. So if this happens, you're welcome, Dragon Age fans, because it's because of me and Austin. But I feel like there's going to be major DAD news when we're on this break. And so we're going to have to, like, release a mini-sode or, or, I don't know, something. I just feel like that's going to happen. So we'll see about that one. But I just feel it in my bones. Maybe I'm clowning, but that's okay. If not, uh, if you're feeling the need for an RPG go pick up Baldur's Gate 3 because I'm watching all the footage and it looks awesome and I'm sad I can't have it yet. Yeah, for sure. Totally agreed. All right. Well, you ready to go back? Yeah, let's get back into it. Have a care where your eyes linger, Alistair. Yes, well, don't worry. It's not what you think. I see. I was looking at your nose. And what is it about my nose that captivates you so? 
I was just thinking that it looks exactly like your mother's. I hate you so much. I was one of the crows you hired to kill the Grey Wardens. I thought you looked familiar. Well, I just wanted to report that I failed my mission, Loghain. You don't say. I'm terribly broken up over it. Hmm. Well, thank you kindly for informing me. You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. So, the third and final animal that we're going to be talking about today is the gurgit, which I know I started this episode by saying we're talking about Ferelden animals today, whatever. This one is not Ferelden. This one is Orlesian. So, let's just jump right in. Um... The gurgit, similar to the bogfisher, is often found in wet marshes, and they often live near wyverns, and so we can find a butt-ton of them while you are trying to hunt the snowy wyvern in Vivian's side quest in Inquisition. So you can pretty much find them all over the southern part of Orlais, um, but specifically in um, the Exalted Plains. I think you can find some in the Emerald Graves and in the Western Approach as well. I might be wrong about that one, but definitely, definitely their primary area is the Exalted Plains. So this interesting fun fact is the name Gurgit actually comes from the sound that they make while mating and which I frankly, I just find that hilarious. But during the mating season, which is in the spring, the male Gurgits basically do these very elaborate um, extravagant dances to get the attention of all of the lady Gurgits and it's very funny to me because the World of Thetis Encyclopedia says that these displays are, quote, bereft of dignity. So basically, they're just making fools out of themselves. Interesting. Interesting. So they just. I'm trying to think. So, you know, I can't remember exactly what's happening, but there's some like animated thing where it's two creatures and they fall in love and they do this like ridiculous mating dance. That's what I'm picturing, but I can't remember which movie I'm talking about. I don't know either, but I definitely agree that I'm picturing this just embarrassing display of whatever we want to call it. Um, But we do also have a codex entry for the Gurgit and the codex entry for this one is actually a journal entry from Baron Havard Pierre um, who is basically musing on the nature of the chant of light's claim that the maker made the humans of Thetis. We'll get, we'll get there. Um, I promise it's related. So the Baron goes on to question what if the maker made humans for food, basically. We see later on that this man is absolutely Balls to the wall, paranoid that the Gurgits are going to attack and eat him, even though he claims that they're simply drooling idiots and the lesser cousin of the Wyvern. So he's putting on a big show um, in public into people and then, you know, basically talking about how afraid he is of them in his diary. 
So funnily enough, we do actually, or you can actually meet this Baron Havard Pierre in Dragon Age Inquisition in a side quest during the Jaws of Hacken DLC. He basically wants you to place a bunch of wards that keeps beasts at bay. And then there's another quest where he sends you hunting for the legendary white bogfisher that I mentioned earlier. I have not done these specific quests. I've just read about them during my research, but I found this pretty hilarious and that this man is so concerned with these creatures that he is like paying the Herald of Andraste to, you know, set these little traps for him. You're right. That's pretty funny. And it's pretty interesting of like the things that the people of Thetis think are worth the Inquisitor's time. Yes. Yes. Like, all of the things we've mentioned today, no, they're not worth it. But these people sure think that they are. I feel that. I feel that sentiment deep in my soul. Mm-hmm. That... That's fair. I also I also understand. Um, so basically, the Gurgit is it is a violent creature. It is a predator, but it's nowhere near the top of the list. It's nowhere near the most fearsome creature in Thetis. It's dangerous, yes, but it's not like you could pretty easily take it down. Um, So that's kind of where it ranks in the predator scale. Um, So that's about everything I have to say about Gurgits, Druffalo, and Bog Fishers. Before we get into our side character, though, do you have anything else you want to add about any of the creatures we've discussed today? Obviously, the Gurgits uh, have a um, relation to Wyverns, which means they are very similar to some of like the dragonlings that we see in Inquisition and this family and so it makes me think like are dragons just going around breeding with a bunch of things or are these like adapted dragonlings or whatever you know what i mean yeah i think that's a very fair question um because i don't know the answer i don't think we have an answer in the lore but to me yes they definitely along with wyverns and lots of other creatures in the western approach like the phoenix and the quillback and some of these other ones that we'll talk about later in the season it they do very much seem like they all came from the same ancestor you know kind of like the broccoli plant like broccoli kale cabbage brussels sprouts like all of these plants they came from the same the same original plant we've just bred out different characteristics so Mm. i wonder if it's a similar situation here interesting so does that mean we're ready to get into our side character let's do it okay so today's side character is none other than master dennett from inquisition who is the horse master um and i You know, we surprisingly know quite a bit about him and his life, which I thought it was going to be like, okay, we know a few things, but I have almost a whole page of notes on on Master Dennett. So let's just dive in. Um, So like I said, he is the horse master for the Inquisition and recruiting him is like the main quest you get in the Hinterlands. 
He's also one of the few black characters that we've gotten in Dragon Age. So even though he's technically a minor character, I find him to be pretty important. Um, but let's back up a little bit to his early life. So we know that Dennett was born in Redcliffe. And that his father was a farrier. Now, if you don't know, I know this because I grew up on a farm. But if you are not like from a rural area or have horses, a farrier is the person who puts the shoes on the horse. Um, and the sh- also, if if you don't know what that means, horses have horseshoes, and they're like actually something that you have to apply regularly. Their hooves are similar to like our fingernails, and they have to be trimmed and cut regularly. And you can kind of think of you know horseshoes as the shoes we wear. It's very similar. So the farrier is the person that does all of that work. So it's a really really important job. And it gave Dennett a proximity to horses from a very, very young age. And he showed also from a very young age that he was a natural with horses. And we have a little bit of info from a codex entry that when he was going to Redcliffe Castle's stables with his father as a young boy, he was able to calm down a stallion that had broken free from the reins of its owner. Dennett calmed down this horse with just a few calming words and saved a servant girl from being injured in the chaos. Redcliffe's own horsemaster witnessed this and immediately said, Dennett, I want you to become my apprentice because you have clearly have a gift with horses. So he leaves his family's home and grows up tending the horses of Redcliffe Castle and teaching the children of the castle how to ride. This means that Dennett definitely knew Alistair as a kid and probably, you know, also knew um Tegan and Eamon and Connor and all of these people that we can meet at Redcliffe Castle, Dennett was there too, just in a different location. So Dennett becomes Horsemaster when the previous Horsemaster died, as is usually how that happens. Apparently, this is the interesting thing. Apparently, the previous Horsemaster died from the blight that he supposedly got from one of the horses in the stables. Dennett alone was the one who recognized that it was indeed the blight, and he helped prevent the spread, basically, um, of the taint throughout the horses, and and even from, you know, spreading that through the people of Redcliffe and the Hinterlands as well. Um, because, you know, it could have very, very easily um, spread through the horses and then the people and um, become much more of an epidemic than it was when we see all of this in Origins. So Dennett definitely saves a lot of people in that. And he basically does all of this almost a decade before the fifth blight really starts in earnest. So we've talked a lot on the show about how, oh, the fifth blight is so short. They're lucky they caught it so early. Da, 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 right. Well, in reality, with this information from Dennett, knowing that he's seeing blighted horses 10 years before the hero of Ferelden comes on the scene, in reality, this blight started a long time before anybody else recognized it. So we're at least probably looking at a 10-year period where the blight was just running 
throughout the rural areas of Ferelden in the Korkari Wilds and Hinterlands and Redcliffe areas, and people just haven't caught on yet. Which makes sense because I at least view it because we know the architect was, you know, in works with stuff long before the beginning exactly. of the life. Exactly. Perfect point. Yes, completely agree. So um, the blight happens and Dennett helps Arl Eamon rebuild Redcliffe and all of this stuff. Um, but after the area is kind of rebuilt a little bit, Dennett wants to retire. He does not want to continue serving in the castle of Redcliffe. I completely understand if I had lived the same area I grew up as like a kid into my adulthood and I survived a war with dark spawn i would probably want to move into a farm as well away from all the people so that's what dennett wants and he retires to the hinterlands with his wife elena and his daughter shauna hoping for some peace and quiet this is where we meet him in inquisition as we are hoping to recruit him and his horses to join the inquisition as horse master ruining his hopes and dreams of getting any peace and quiet but he eventually does join the Inquisition after some quest completion on the player's part. So that's most of what we know about him story-wise. I do have a few fun facts about him before we talk about whether or not we like him. So jumping into fun facts and trivia a little bit. He has different nicknames um, for your Inquisitors. So he will call an Elven Inquisitor Hollow Rider and a Dwarven Inquisitor Mule Rider, both of which he says as terms of endearment and in admiration. He also always calls you Inquisition instead of Herald or Inquisitor. I assume this was done because you meet him most likely before you've taken on the role of Inquisitor, officially at least. So I think that's kind of why that is like that. But it is a fun little um, fun fact there. Dennett also sends Arl Tegan a letter begging him to send help to the refugees in the Hinterlands. And that's actually in the Hinterlands Codex entry. It's also believed that Dennett wrote the Codex entry, A Horsemaster's Notes on Mounts, but it is unconfirmed, technically. I think it ends with just like a D, so we don't know technically who wrote it, but we can kind of assume it's probably mm-hmm. Dennett. Um, and then lastly, we also have a note text from Dennett's wife, Elena, to him. And it's about the Tirda's Lover landmark tree, which we've talked about these trees. We've talked about Tirda on the podcast before. I'm obsessed with her story. Um, if you remember, she is a Avar kind of hero. And um, it said she was a mage, which all the Avar are like, yeah, duh, we know. And that fact has been suppressed in like Ferelden history. So she's a really important reminder of you know, Ferelden's old ways, basically. So in this note text, Elena is refusing to cut the tree down because of superstition. And there are some people, probably Chantry people, who are like, no, we need to cut this tree down, da 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 Like, 
it's, you know, dying or it's a symbol of whatever. I don't remember exactly the situation, but we learn through the the note text that Dennett himself is also a believer in some of these old superstitions because he, quote, twists the old horseshoe nails into circles and puts them in saddles for luck. But Elena is reminding him of this and saying like, hey, you do some of these superstitions too. Like, do not cut Tirdus tree down. Me and all of your workers are going to riot against you. So if you think about doing that you might want to rethink it um so we do have a little bit of fun lore there with learning about like the old ways before the chantry kind of jumps in so i always appreciate learning about that kind of stuff um but that's about everything we have on dennett do you have thoughts about him before we wrap up today's episode um i literally have no opinion on him other than I think the only other person to call you Inquisition is Blackwall during his recruitment quest when you're like about to leave and you're like, he's like, no, I don't want to join you or whatever or something like this. And you're like, okay, bye. And then you leave and he's like, Inquisition, wait. So I think he and Denner are the only ones, which I think makes sense to your kind of theory of it's because they met the Inquisitor before they were the Inquisitor. Yes. Uh, but, like, I think that he's just a character. Um, I do like the now knowing kind of his background and how long he's been around. I appreciate his character a little more. But again, like, he's just. Once I recruit him and I do the god awful horse racing quest. You don't have to do that quest. I guess that's true. I I also get frustrated by his recruitment because you have to do the watchtowers and I really detest quests that make you jump from back and forth between regions. Like you have to go, you have to do all the watchtowers and then you have to go back to Skyhold and do the achievement and then you have to go back and recruit Dennett. Yeah, that's fair. I dislike that as well. And I, I, you know, I have a love hate relationship with the hinterlands. I think they are beautiful. I would love to live there as just a person, you know, when there's not a war going on. Um, it just it is so scenic and beautiful. But also the quests there absolutely suck and they are annoying and I hate the fetch quests. And I don't particularly like Dennett's daughter very much, but I absolutely love um, Elaine or Elena, his wife, because she is like tending the garden when you go to their house and we'll have some ambient dialogue. Like if you walk on the plants, she'll basically yell at you and be like, um, watch where you're walking. Like though, that's my garden. So I love that little touch. Um, but I agree with you. I think that Dennett does kind of blend into the background a little bit, which again, as we have discussed so many times, is unfortunate that he is one of so few black characters in this game series while for a side character yeah this is pretty well written like it's basic it's 101 there's nothing offensive here for sure um he is a wholesome black man who you know unlike characters in mass effect did not cheat on and leave their significant other and impregnate someone else i digress um so that's great that he doesn't fall into any stereotypes. I just wish there was more. Mm-hmm. Or I agree with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like, I am I would say I'm neutral about him. It's probably where I fall on that. Yeah, I understand. 
So that is about all that I have for today's episode. All right. Well, thanks for putting this all together. Interesting, interesting about all these creatures. Uh, it will not make me think twice about killing any of them for their uh, pelts or crafting supplies. So you can get on with that. Like, do not care. We'll continue to hunt them for their pelts and crafting supplies. And a special shout out to our Nung King patron, Lewis H., who gets a special shout out at the end of every episode. Thank you so much for your support. But thank you for doing this. Uh, Thank you all for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Ever wanted to be a content creator but had no clue where to begin? Come join me as I sit down with content creators that have already faced the challenges you're up against as they discuss the tips and tricks that help them be successful. Here on The Content Creator's Guide, available wherever podcasts can be found.